Morning, everybody. I say people who wear glasses look more intelligent. Is it, is it working? I need all the help I can get. <laughs> no, it's wonderful to be with you guys in Gordon's Bay, man. Well done, Sean and Chantel and the rest of the team who've been building here over the, over the last two years. Sean, it seems gone very fast the time, hey? And you guys have done so well. And it's lovely just to be with you, man. It's always great to be with God's people. I just find that first prize just to be with the people of God. Um, just, there's just something about family. There's something about unity. There's something about worshiping God together. That just is so precious. And yeah, we're here to serve God. Hey, what's the purpose of our lives? It's, it's to serve God. That's all. That's the only reason why you exist. It's to serve God and to glorify Him with your life. So that people see your life and they say, Is there a God? Well, according to the way you are walking out your belief and your understanding, I believe there could be a God because of your life. And so I think, you know, wherever we go, wherever we set our foot, is a demonstration of, of God's love and power and his love for people and his love for us. So, yeah, this morning I want to just share on walking in freedom. You know, we're called to be free. Who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. You know, whoever the sun sets free shall be free indeed. So we're called to be a people who walk in freedom. And, and I always like to measure my life, my life and find out, Lord, how am I, how am I doing? I come from a, a production background, a factory background, and a lot of measurements, and we had to send statistics to France all the time, how are we doing in our kilograms per hour and you know, all these cents per man hour and all these type of things to measure our performance. And we're not here to perform, but we are here to serve God. And we, and we all will have to give an account one day. You know, in the business world, you've got to give an account. Otherwise, you know, what do, why have we employed you? What, what's the purpose of you being here um, if not to contribute? And the kingdom of God is very similar. And, and the church and the bride of Christ is very similar. We all call to contribute and bring who we are. Because every one of you is a gift. You know, you're, we're a body. And the body, not half the body, only, only half of me came here today. It wouldn't look so good. It doesn't look good with the full of me, but imagine how bad it would be with half of me. And so likewise with the church, you know, we're called to present in our fullness to Christ. And um, we're called to walk together and go forward together. And whatever you do affects me. Um, and whatever I do affects you. That's because the Bible says we're interconnected. We, you can't go and do something in isolation and think that it won't affect the rest of the body of Christ. It does. That's why we call to have church discipline, for, for example, in 1 Corinthians 5, because you know, it's, that person is contaminating the body of Christ uh, an unrepentant sin, where they dig in and say, yes, I'm a believer, I know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I, I still choose to continue in an area of sin and not repent of it, which means to turn away from it. We're all weak, we all fail, we all need God's mercy and grace, and um, we know that. We can't judge one another, yet we can, if that makes sense. Because um, it's very clear in Scripture, we, we are called to judge. And uh, there's a reason, because God looks at His bride, and it's holy, it's pure, it's beautiful. And he says, you touch the bride of Christ, you're touching me. You bring the bride of Christ a glass of water, you're bringing it to me. You, you know, everything we do, Everything about your life impacts on everybody else. And even the, the not doing impacts on us as well. You know, we always think, well, if I sin, I impact. But what if you just hide your gift and just don't contribute as part of the body? What if my hand didn't contribute? It, it exists, but it doesn't contribute. It just sits there all the time, just following me around. And there, there are some folk who've got uh, crippled bodies, so to speak. I don't, you've got to, 
In this day and age, you know, language changes over time. And as I've got older, I've got to be careful what words I use because back in the day they were okay, but today it may be considered offensive, you know. So if I offend anybody, forgive me, get over it, move on. Um, we're not, with Christians, we're inoffendable. You cannot, you, we don't have, I don't have to use the word luxury, but it's actually, you know, the world gets offended about everything. We are living in, that, in those times. But as Christians, we should be inoffendable. That's, whatever you do, whatever you say to me, whatever you act towards me, will not rock me and change me because I know who, and I'll just forgive you. The Bible says just forgive. Jesus just took it. They ripped his beard, they beat him, and he just took it. And he didn't fight back. He didn't retaliate. He didn't say, well, I'm offended that you're putting me on the cross. I'm offended that you don't consider me the son of God. Didn't I do miracles? You know, where's the Human Rights Commission right now? You know, I need them. He just took it. He just took it. He was broken for us. And so as we, as his followers, as his disciples, we're unoffendable. We don't get offended. Because there's nothing that anybody can say or do that can be what, more than what Jesus had to endure and, and take upon himself. Um, so we've got to be a people who walk in freedom, otherwise we're going to be bound. So we, we know, we have a knowledge of truth, we have a knowledge of freedom, but if we continue as broken Christians in this life and just um, enjoy our brokenness sometimes, and, well, that's who I am, and all these type of comments. You know, I've had um, a guy who called us in for his marriage once many years ago, and he was a huge guy, he was massive. I mean, nobody would shake his hand eventually because he used to break your hand. He was so strong. He was a strong man. Another elder asked me to come and just help him with marriage counseling with this guy and his wife. And then he starts using uh, swear words. You know, so I, swear, I used to swear badly before I was saved, so, so I'm, I'm aware of swear words. It doesn't offend me, but um, I'm not offended by it. But I'm just saying, if you're a born-again Christian, you know, you, obviously don't let coarse language come out of your mouth. I mean, we should be transformed. And the guy starts swearing. So I said, hang on a minute, what's all these swear words, you know? He says, that's your am. Take it or leave it. I said, I will leave it because you asked me to come and help you with your marriage and there's the door. If, you don't, if you're not going to um, change and, and allow God to come and change you, then we, just, we, we walk. We had to help you, but if you don't want help then, and you want to stay the way you are, you know, that's your am. Take it or leave it. We will leave it until you choose to change and then we're there for you. I mean, we fight for people, eh? We fight for people. I had to do two church disciplines last year. We had to put people out different congregations and when you get up there to do something like that, it's so powerful because, you know, you, I'm crying inside. I've done it over the years and, and uh, you weep in your heart. The elder doesn't get up and has to, when he has to maybe rebuke the congregation or bring a hard word. There's a lot of a tears, may not be outward, but inside his heart should be breaking for, the, for what he's having to say. Then there's something wrong with that elder, that leader. Because, and when you put people out of the church, it's, you, you read the scripture and it's, and it's, I'll use a, a word, it's horrific. It's horrific what, what's happening, because the Bible says you're putting them out of the church worldwide. You stick, you, you're, throwing them, you're breaking them off the body of Christ. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 5. It says you're cutting them off, you, you're handing them over to Satan. As the, as the loving church, that's an expression of love, we are saying we are handing you over to Satan. We're putting you out of our fellowship. We're casting you off. To bring you back to healing, and we've the th thankfully the one lady was was having uh, sex outside of marriage, and um, and uh, she repented. We had restored her. When was it? Beginning of this year. Um, she repented in front of the whole church. The, the one where we had to put the one, that, but the other situation hasn't quite 
uh, resolved yet. Um, but these are things, you know, we want to walk in freedom. And, and, if we, and as Josh Jen, as a church, and in leading God's people, we were there, as you said, 24 years ago. It's now our 25th year of Josh Jen, since the beginning of this year. And we were there when there was 15 of us with Andrew Selly. And when I met them, and Jenny and I met them, and I was, a bit, I was in business, and, and he always laughs about it and speaks about it publicly. We arrived in our Mercedes, and, and there all these hippies were with their long hair. The men had more longer hair than the, than the men. And we're like, okay, let's back out of here. Don't make eye contact, you know. Um, and, but, you know, there's a knitting of hearts. And we've seen God just, and God just said, no, you're with this guy. And Andrew's got, there's a team of maybe five to seven people that are walk with him quite closely. Like Jesus had three that were close to him. Um, and Andrew's got about, there's five of us who've walked with Andrew since 99, since year one. We, we work and journey with him and, and help him in terms of bringing the church to where God wants it. Today, I believe there'll be about uh, at least 6,000 people meeting in Josh Jen today. Um, and, that, and you always have about 1,000, 1,500 who have gone on holiday, sick, can't make it. So they just, there's always that factor. So we, we must be big numbers now. And look at us. We're so ordinary. And it's just ordinary congregations like this. We, just, we don't want big congregations. That's why we have lots. We want everyone to be known by name so we can walk and journey with you um, and help you come into what God wants you to become. We can't live your life for you, but we can walk ahead of you by example because Paul said, Follow me as I follow Christ. We'll always point you to Jesus. That's our job is to point you to Jesus. We're not priests above you. We're all priests, the priesthood of all believers. And we're here to help you to become all that God wants you to become in this lifetime. So one day you're going to have to give an account for your life. We're going to have to give an account. To, I'm going to have to give an account for this preaching, this sermon I'm bringing this morning. You know, the Bible says that those who preach will be, and teach will be, will be judged more harshly. And so we've got to weigh our words very carefully. We don't talk nonsense here because God's going to say, every word that you say comes out of your mouth. And if I lead you guys and with the rest of the elders, if we lead you in, in the wrong direction, woe to us. Because Hebrews 13, 17 says, we've got to stand for God and give an account for you one day. We have to. Is there somebody who can give an account for you? Are you, are you walking with us as an elder eldership? Because that's what the Bible says. Um, that and the guys sometimes say, I don't believe in church. Uh, even though the church is God's idea, and he wanted the church, and he established the church, and he only works through his church. In Ephesians 3, he says, I've only got one plan, that's my church. And these guys say, no, I just want to relate to Jesus. That's unscriptural, unbiblical. Uh, even 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, you know, some say they're of Paul, some say they're of Paulus, some say they're of Jesus and of Christ. And that sounds good, but it, and there's truth to that. We are all of Christ, but we're never called to stand alone. And the early church... If you were not part of the church, they didn't consider you a Christian. Because you didn't understand. You were not obedient to the truth. You were disobedient to the truth. And so, you know, can we give an account for you one day by name? When you, you stand, you've got to give an account for your life, yes. Everything you did, God's going to say, okay, you come and stand before me and, and give me, I gave you gifting, I gave you opportunity, I gave you life. What did you do with what I gave you? Because we know the parable of the talents. Um, Two people multiplied their talents and God said, well done. He commended them. He, he expects multiplication, not just the same. When the one person buried their talent, and he said, you wicked, lazy servant, cast them out. I mean, I don't want to begin to interpret that, what that means. But I would take a big wake-up call if I stand before God one day and pulled out my shiny gift. And it's all brand new, still in the wrapping. 
untouched. Look at it, Lord, unspoiled. I'm, and God says, that's not how I expected. I expected, I gave you opportunity. I gave you people around you to love them, to care for them. There's a world that I'm asking you to reach and, and speak out. And when I wanted to change you, you resisted me. You said, no, no, you know better. And you rationalized it and you went on all crazy teachings. And that's the thing we're trying to do today is to build a good, healthy church because God's looking for healthy churches. And that starts with healthy people because churches is people. It's not this building. You know, we've bought buildings now as a church. We've been, God has allowed, provided the finance for us to build, our own, to build sometimes and sometimes to purchase buildings because buildings are quite hard to come by, as you guys are finding out, I believe, in terms of church. And it can hamper you in some respects. Um, but as people of God, are you walking in everything that God's got for you? Are you ready to go home now? Are you ready to go home and face the Lord and say, Okay, Lord, here I am. Weigh up my life. Show my life, Lord. Everything. Everything belongs to you. There was a, there was a incredible man of God, um, General William Booth, I always forget his name, so I always got to start the general part. Um, the Salvation Army, he, start, he started the Salvation Army, who were an incredible movement of God in the 1800s and 1900s, um, where they were evangelical. They were hitting the, in London, they, in, in England, they were affected, they were led many to the Lord, they were, they were burning for the Lord Jesus. They believed in rank and they called themselves generals and captains and majors and all these things, and still today they exist like that because there is ranking, I suppose. The Bible refers to us as an army as well as a bride. And, um, and he was an amazing guy, him and his wife. His wife was a phenomenal woman. Um, when she was dying of breast cancer in the 1800s, and there's no medicine like we've got today to alleviate the pain, and she said to him, my only regret of dying is that I won't be here to nurse you when you die. Hey, imagine having such a servant heart like that. My only regret, not me dying, is that I won't be here to be with you as you die and to watch you, and to be comfort you as you die. What a godly woman. And she was a powerful preacher, really amazing woman. They affected America, they impacted America as well, quite radically for the gospel and the kingdom. And when he was interviewed as an old man, old William Booth, and uh, they said to him, William Booth, how come your life counted so much for God? And he just said this one thing. He said, God got all of William Booth. God got all of William Booth. And I said, Lord, have you got all of Russell Fraser? Have you got all of them? And it's always, we joke in the church about two areas that you be so careful of touching. Your wallet and your children. Because those are like, you can hit me, I'll bring it on. But don't touch my money, it's mine. When it actually belongs to God, the Bible says, everything belongs to him. He's just trusting you with his money, but sometimes we get it wrong and we think, no, it's actually my money. And I'll, th I'll decide how much I give to God. And then our children, which we're, we just, we just like, given to us for a season. Um, I've got three sons, all in their 30s. I'm a grandfather, and but my boys are open-hand. They're just given to me for a season. We're still very close. We walk and journey together, but they belong to the Lord. They're his boys. He asked me to, gave me a trust of caring for them. My wife, 40, we've married 41 years in April this year. Um, and... I always get it right, don't worry. <laughs> Third of April. Um, I'm good at dates. <laughs> and, uh, you know, God gave me the trust of one of his daughters. He says, here's my daughter, I'm trusting you with her. That you'll protect her, love her, as Christ loves the church, Ephesians 5. 
And that's, I was saying for God one day, say, how did you treat my daughter? You know, it's a covenant of marriage. After the covenant we make with God in, in Ephesians 5, it gives us the picture of marriage of Jesus and his church. It's the most powerful picture, powerful, powerful picture that God has given us. And we abuse it. Oh, I'll divorce you, marry someone else, you know, whatever, you know. And I always, I'm terrified for some people. I won't put hands on their, on their remarriages sometimes. They say, well, you remarry me, you know, I'm marrying this lady, but so where's your first wife? Now, she's over there, but now we'll go back and find her. God gave you a wife. Don't why, why are you looking over here now? And so we treat, we've become, even in the church, we've become blasé about the covenant of marriage. It's precious to God, precious to God. And we've got to hold it and treat it as such and understand it. So we're talking about accountability here, about the gift that God's given you, but are you able to walk in freedom? I remember the, the British Army, when they came to South Africa, well, they were here already, but I mean, they, they, they were called the Anglo-Boer War. You must have, if you're South Africans, you'll be taught it in history in 1899 to 1902. And the British, when they first arrived, got a hiding from the Boers. They, they, got, they, they just couldn't. The British, I think it's only like 40% of them, only 40% could actually go into battle because the rest were too weak and pathetic. They were malnourished. They, I mean, those days they didn't have good, good food and, and they just weren't fit. They were quite pathetic. They couldn't shoot straight because they were only given 40 bullets a year to train with. So they were missing like crazy and the Boers were accurate. I mean, they lived off their rifles. They, they had to shoot for their living. Your inner instinct come out. Your inner Boer come out. And you're young, eh? yeah. yeah, yeah, shoot for my living. Where's, give me my gun. Yeah. And, I mean, literally, the Boers were a small army, but they, they were taking the British apart, you know. And the British became one of the best armies in the, Second World, in the First World War, 1914 to 1918, because they took away the lesson of that war. They said, we, we got taken apart there. We better train and be, be, be better than this. And so in the, in the First World War, they were actually a pretty good army because of what they learned. So many of us, you know, we, we called to go into battle. But if I was to blow the whistle... And the First World War, we know, we see they used to blow a whistle and go over the top, they called it. And they lost all the officers. They called it the lost generation. The British actually lost more people in the, in the First World War than the Second World War. They just walked into machine gun fire and, and they, were, they blew a whistle and they said, come, we're going into battle. If we blow a whistle and say, come church, we need to go into battle. We need to go and fight for people right now. We need to, we need to advance the kingdom of God. We, we, need to, we need to go forward. We need more of... We just might need more from you guys. And remember, if we ever ask something from you, we do weigh up your lives carefully. We do. We consider your lives. I mean, I was in business. Sean was in business. Rion's still in business. We know what it's like raising children, the things. I mean, I had my own business for seven years. You don't know what the word cash flow is until you go into your own business. Um, and, I mean, you get, you get hammered in business. It's a hard, tough world out there. We know that. But can we call you into battle? Are you ready? Are you battle ready? Or, or are you like, whoa, look for someone, pick, find someone else, please. I can't, I, I'm, I'm too weak. I've got too many issues of my own to deal with. And I really believe God wants to do something in us this morning, individually, to break chains over us. And uh, we're not a rah-rah church, you might have gathered. Um, you know, when I got saved, our church went into the extreme word of faith movement, Name it and claim it. You know, my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills and I'm the head, not the tail. And we made all these declarations and statements and people still died and still carry, you know, things still went wrong. Um, 
nothing really changed. And it was, a lot of people got disillusioned. They thought, but we make, we're making all the right noises, but nothing's really happening. We're not seeing change. Because if you've not been transformed by the power of God, then there's something wrong. Because when you come into the kingdom of God, when you collide with the kingdom of God, one or two, you know, someone's got to move here and it's not going to be God. Someone's got to change and it's not going to be God. It's going to be you. If you don't change, if you're still the same as you were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, there's no real change in your life. You're just going through life, coming to church on a Sunday morning, going maybe community on a Wednesday night. Is that what God wants from us? That's the question. If he's got your heart, then the rest is so much easier to deal with. If he doesn't have your heart fully, it's going to be very difficult for us to lead you into the things of God. Because all the time we're going to be fighting against battles that you're going to raise all the time. Like, you know, you don't know what it's like. You don't understand my life. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my background. Rion just touched on his background briefly. I know his sister. Um, his sister publicly had to put out the church years ago. Um, and she's repented and come back in again. She's life's back on track. Um, you know, I know where they've come from. I know their situation. But they fought through. Rion's fought through. He's fought battles. He's got the battle scars. And he's got up. He said, in Jesus' name, I will carry on. I will fight on. I'm going to fight. There's a war for your soul. There's a war to keep the church neutralized and to singing songs and going through the motions. And, and, but God says we're called to be victorious. Not in a freaky way, in a crazy way, and, and de denying the, the truth of the real circumstance, but actually being overcomers in Christ Jesus in all the circumstances. Paul was a conqueror, more than a conqueror, in all his beatings and, and um, shipwreck and starvation and nakedness and no sleep and persecuted. And Paul even said, you know, there's a tormentor that I've got from Satan, a messenger from Satan. And if you've got messages from Satan recently, Paul had one. Paul the Apostle, this mighty man of God, who's very clothing people could take and people could get healed from. Paul, the mighty man of God, who wrote most of the New Testament, had a tormentor, a messenger from Satan, to keep him from being conceited by the things that he had seen. 2 Corinthians 12, I think it is. And he said, beg God, take us away. You know, we think he could have quoted James, you know, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Yeah, I'm more than a conqueror. Do you know who I am? You know, and all this, he could have done all that, but he said, God has said to him, no, no, in this situation, I'm paraphrasing. My grace is sufficient for you. What? Come on, man. A tormentor. You know, how am I supposed to go now and minister, knowing I've got a tormentor, a messenger from Satan? We don't know what it was. Some speculate it could have been a physical ailment, maybe his eyes. Some say it could have been the Jews who followed him around and persecuted him everywhere. We don't really know what that, what that meant. He didn't just say exactly. But his life had a bit of a tough aspect to it. And he still said, in my God, I will serve. I will follow him. I will speak about him. I will proclaim him. So you can allow life circumstances to get you down, and that's exactly what the enemy wants. First, number one, he wants people not to see God. The Bible says that uh, he does have a veil. The world has a veil over their eyes. that They can't see God. If they did, they would get saved. But, and God lifts that veil. If you're born again, sitting here, born again of God, it means God reached out to you. And he lifted the veil so that you could see him. That's what happened to me. I wasn't even looking for God. I had a great life even when I, at the time of my salvation. I wasn't, and God just said, oh, here I am. And I said, no, suddenly I see I need a God. I'm missing so much. I didn't realize how weak and pathetic I was. 
and suddenly I realized, I thought I was doing, I was a cool young oak, and I had everything, and my world was going great. And so that's the one thing, is salvation is, that's why as a church we've got to be mobilized, we've got to be in a position to really shine for Jesus in all our circumstances. If you're as miserable as the world, then what hope has the world got of seeing Jesus? You know, don't look to me. I'm just as miserable as you. Go and find someone else. My life's tough. But in all these things, we can be conquerors. In all these things, we can get breakthrough. In all these things, we can live differently for Jesus and shine for Him in all circumstances. You've got to know, in Ephesians, I mean, just a couple of points, uh, Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 10, it speaks about, um, Ryan, are you doing this thing or someone else? Okay. Okay. I like the colorings, very nice. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by, the grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So we are his workmanship. We are those who have been positioned in Christ. And you've got to know that. Who, you, you know, who are you? You're in Jesus. If you're, in, if you're born again this morning, you've got to grab hold of who you are. You're positioned so well. You know the Savior. Your older brother Jesus has gone before you. He overcame much. And Isaiah says he's a man of many troubles, many sorrows. We don't quite know what that means, but it means he had a, also had a tough life in, in his upbringing. And he had overcome all the things that we had to overcome in this life. He says he was tempted in every way. So you think, you know, because we sit and we counsel people, thousands of people over the years, and God said, no, 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 hang on, you, you guys don't understand. My situation's different. But tell me your situation. We hear it. and they, they, I've heard guys say, you're going to be shocked by what I'm going to tell you. And they tell us, I mean, and you're like, when's the shocking part coming? And I've said it already. I don't know, we've heard that a hundred times. What? I thought I was the only one. You know, because the devil tells people that you're the only one who's experiencing this. You're the only one like that. You're the only one as a loser. If they all knew what you're thinking right now in this room, they would reject you. You're the only one who's struggling with loneliness. You're the only one who's struggling with this. Everyone else is doing well. Go on Facebook and see. Everyone's having a great life. And God's, God knows your situation. And he wants us to live open, transparent lives so we can help one another. I'm trying to help you this morning. My whole purpose right now is to connect you to Jesus in a fresh way. Some of you probably heard a hundred times, if you're old, if you're gray, and you've been in church for many years, you would, you would have heard these things. If Peter even writes in his letters, he says, I'm not writing anything new. He says a couple of times, you know all this, I'm just reminding you. And we've got to keep reminding each other of, of who we are in Christ. That we can get breakthrough. The devil would lie to you, and he'd want Christians to be neutralized in this life and not get victory and not be those who walk in freedom. So the church just goes through life, just singing songs, having some prayer meetings, and really just, but I think Josh Jen, the, when I mention numbers, it's not to boast in the numbers like David did. That was his downfall because he, he saw his strength in his numbers and that's why he sinned and he was judged for it. But even the New Testament says 5,000 were added in one day. 
And because that's exciting, that means more people are coming to Jesus. The only reason we would mention numbers and growth is because this is an exciting thing to celebrate. That people are coming to Christ, people are coming into freedom, and people are growing, and they're going from death into life. I mean, can you imagine, I had a vision during worship, and I'm trying to interpret it myself. I don't often get visions, but I just saw this grayness going through like a dark, uh, almost like the, the, the um, Dead Sea type of thing, the um, Red Sea, <laughs> Um, when Moses parted the Red Sea, you know, and it's almost like I felt I was going through something like that with utter darkness on the other side and coming to incredible bright lights of, of God. And I just realized, I, thought, I, see that, I saw it in terms of salvation, of, of we don't, we're sitting in the grayness and we, 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 we're living in grayness because the Bible does say we only see in part right now. He says, no eyes seen, no ears heard. You cannot believe what God has prepared for those who love Him. There's such, I mean, there's, you know, we're we seeing with the church, is quite big now, so we see people dying fairly frequently, getting old, and we had a lady murdered the other day, a 42-year-old mom. Um, and so, you know, things, people are dying, and we're going to memorials, and man, those people are all in with Jesus. They are in that light. They are just celebrating right now. It's us down here who still got to continue and live out our faith and shine for our Lord Jesus and walk in freedom that he purchased at such a great price. And it's like when you buy someone a gift, and you've really sacrificed to buy them that gift. And they look at it and oh, yeah, okay, and just put it over there. You think, what? Do you know how much I sacrificed to get you that? You know, if you've got children, you understand that. They play the paper or the box. And uh, that costs 5,000 rand, you know. And, oh, this paper's much better, you know. Um, and they jump in the box and things like that. And so you, know, you think, but you don't, under, you don't appreciate what I've done. And I, I think the Lord must wonder sometimes, the freedom I've bought you, don't walk. In such weakness. Don't, we are weak, but we are strong in Him. Let the weak say they are strong. So know your position in Christ. You belong to Him. You are the son and the daughter of the living God. I'm scared for anyone who touches me. I really am. I've seen it in the business world. Where guys are, if I'm on the right side of God, that is. If I'm in the right place, I'm positioned well in God. And I've had literally people physically get taken out. They come against me. I've turned them over. I've, I mean, I wanted to hit a guy once when I was in my own business. And the Lord just spoke to me as I was about to punch him. And uh, I'm just being honest. I was a young man, okay. And uh, and the, and I said I went back to my office. I said, Lord, I hand over these guys to you. They literally went out of business a month later. They were destroyed. This physically, they were their physical vehicles were all destroyed. Um, it was the most bizarre. And I've seen God. Yeah, the one guy threw me the gun, and he died. And uh, so you know, but you got to walk in God. Because you know, do you know who I am? Do you know who you are? The devil's, if he comes against you, comes against, you touch God's church, you know how in trouble you are. This is bright. He died for this, man. He, this is the most precious thing on the earth. There's nothing more precious than this. It's God's people. You harm God's people, you cause one of them to stumble, woe to you. Better you millstone tied around your neck, you know. So understand who you are. Don't go around swaggering now. That's not what I'm saying, you know, you know who I am. But rather, you must in humility know who you are. In humility, that God, just I'm positioned in you because of Jesus dying for me. I've, I'm adopted into you. I belong to you, Father. Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father. Number two, just understand and accept God's sovereignty. What do I mean by that? Well, look at Job. Well, look at, I mentioned Paul now, um, uh, what situation that he was in. And God is sovereign, which means God can do what he wants to do. That's where some of these false movement teachings are so destructive in the church. They're literally destructive. 
um, like the Harper Grace teaching. It's, it's a destructive teaching. There is some good to it, and people just, the immature Christians just see that. But there's a, like an arsenic part to it. And we'll, we've written to the leaders of these churches, because um, the Bible says, you know, uh, Matthew 18, church discipline. So we, we know they just ignored us, but, but we can't speak publicly if we haven't done godly things and, and gone to them and said, we feel you are sinning with your teaching. Because those teachings are, are hurt the body of Christ. Things like, you know, once you repented, you never have to repent ever again. All your future sins are paid for. Yes, they are, but not the way they mean. They mean, they said, so they say, I can go and sin because my sins are paid for, you know. What's, and it's, it's causing people to stumble in their faith. The, the extreme faith movement is destructive as well. We saw it, I mean, I've been saved 43 years now, and we've seen how it hurts guys where they, they, they trust God for something in faith. People step out in faith when God hasn't really spoken. That is, they're just taking a chance, basically. They're stepping out in whatever. And, and then they get hurt, disappointed in God. Like, God, where were you? There's, there was like a formula almost we learned about God, that if, that if you say this and do that, then God will do this. He can't help himself. He has to follow his own rules, you know. No, God follows his, nobody. He makes his, he, he's the one who decides. And we try and pin God down. We try and work, how does God work? Let's study the Scriptures. And, and Jesus even said to the Pharisees, you study the Scriptures thinking they will save you, but they don't. Because the mature believers, the Bible says in Hebrews 5, 14, I think it is, that they've learned to handle truth, right and wrong. They've learned how to discern. So in this situation, this scripture, this truth will apply. In that situation, something completely different. You know, Peter even said to, to Jesus, but you know, he says, just tells Peter how you're going to die. Peter, you're going to die like this. He says, what about John over there? He says, don't worry about him. Just worry about you. You know, I've done, I've done funerals or memorials for 18-year-olds for, for young, for, and 80-year-olds. And because God just determines our days. He determines how long we'll live and what will take place in our lives. Totally up to God. He is totally sovereign. In the book of Job, which, um, and we see how uh, the devil comes into God's presence. He, God says to the devil, where you been? So he says, no, I've been wandering the earth you know, here and there. And, he says, and, uh, and, and God had just spoken about an amazing, um, oh, there we go, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that is, okay, this is, so he, he, oh, I'm jumping a little bit here. So just before that, he says, um, sorry, have you considered my servant Job? You know, he's a righteous man, and, and the, the devil says, yeah, but he only serves you because you bless him. Take away the blessing, and let's see what he says. And that's often with, with us, you know. I just got given 10,000 rand, I'm blessed. Well, what if it causes you to fall away from God? Because most people who win the jackpot or whatever this thing's called, um, they, 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 it destroys their lives. The majority's lives are destroyed through it. I've won 20 million, yeah. Next thing, 10 years later, they interview the guys, lost all the money normally, and their families are messed up, and all their friends, and everything's gone wrong. Very seldom has it been success stories. So we equate financial wealth and health with blessing. Where God says, okay, because um, Satan has sort of said to God, you know, okay, you take all, that, all the, the so-called blessing away. Let's see what he, how he responds to it. And the Lord said to Satan, okay, behold, behold his big language. All that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we know he caused havoc. People died. And God was okay with that. We think if someone dies in this life, that it's a disaster. Things have gone wrong. Which generation would you rather live in? In America in 1850 
or in America, 2023? Which generation? Because that generation, the old one, if you got to the age of 20, anybody 20 here this morning? Or close to 20? Anyone? You are. Okay, so if you got to 20 in America, these are statistics, you could live another 17 years. You could. But you have to get to 20 first because it's such a high child mortality rate. In Mozambique, the one area in northern Mozambique, extremely poor, they don't name their children to the age of five because they mostly die. They don't want to get connected to them. Now, which generation would you rather live in? Or today, where the average lifespan in America is probably about 85. You think, wow, 85 sounds good. Yeah, I want to live. Why do you want to stay in this earth when the next... It means you don't understand eternity. I'm not saying it's all going down now and shoot yourselves and stuff like that. I'm just making a point. We think living long in this life is a blessed life where going into eternity with God is failure and like I've lost out. But go and sp- if we could speak to the people in eternity, what do they say? Sure, I'm so glad I got out of that world. You know what, a, you know what it's like up here with God? No pain, peace, no temptation. It's just the devil, you know, it doesn't affect, we does, it's just not comparable. So in understanding, because the Bible says you're aliens and strangers in this world, you're just passing through. But we sort of read that, yeah, yeah, it sounds good, mm, yeah, I understand intellectually. But when it hits you in your spirit, you know, I've had two, how in the last two and a half years, maybe, and during COVID, um, I got it quite badly, we didn't realize how badly, Jenny finally got me into the hospitals during the beta wave in December. Um, they welcome me into the COVID ward, and they say, welcome to the COVID ward, they set up a special ICU for it. This one professor, my, mother-in-law, my son's mother-in-law got me in by a special favor. Guys were punching to get into the hospital in Cape Town, the one Jenny took me to. I said, welcome to the COVID ward. You're either going to go home to be with Jesus, those are the exact words, the lady says to me and the nurse, or you might go home to your family. The doctor takes people around and comes past my bed. And he says, oh, Mr. Fraser, I'd like to keep one bed open for someone who's dying. So this is all encouraging words I'm getting. So bottom line, they thought I was going to die, but I think without medical intervention and really good prayer, I think the prayer must probably counted more. Um, and then last year I had cancer, and they cut that out, and now hopefully... So far, cancer, cancer count is clear. So I was in, when I was lying in hospital the first time in the ICU, hooked up, and I, I, you know, I really did think I was, it was the end. And they just said to me, they, they, they seen the guys. I mean, I've got two people either side of me, young ladies, they both died. They were in comas. Um, and I prayed for them that they would find Jesus in that time. And, you know, people were dying, like, next to me. And you think, okay, and they've just told me, you're probably next. So you kind of, at that point, you know, you're not thinking about what you're doing on Friday. You, you're thinking about, okay, Lord, Am I ready to come and see you? Am I, this, is, this could be it. So I, I positioned my heart for the Lord. I said, Lord, if this is it, then am I ready? Is there anyone I need to forgive? Anything I need to make right? Am I right with you, Lord? I'm not panicking at this point. I'm, just, I'm quite relaxed and well, not in a lot of pain and stuff like that. But I really, I was, I was just trying to find, God, am I ready? Because I'm about to see you face to face now. And that was my moment, you know. And I did come through it, um, as you can see. And... Uh, it's not an apparition <laughs> and um, hologram. And so, yeah, the Lord is, you know, those times, you, but you just shouldn't have to have those moments to weigh up your life. You shouldn't have to wait for that time. And I've, I've led people to the Lord on, the, on their deathbeds. Um, all they can do is squeeze my finger. Can you understand me? You make sure they, they can understand you. They like, can't speak and they're in their last moments. And when you establish that they can really, are really properly understanding, you say, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord? And they squeeze their finger. And you lead them to the Jesus, they're about to go, and they watch them pass into eternity. This is not a game we're playing. 
This is it. You don't get more real than this. This is it. Your work, I mean, I was in senior management working for Total, the French petroleum company, my last job. Um, another corporate world, another bone business. It doesn't get more real than this. And living for him. And understand God is sovereign. He can do what he wants. And, and when you accept that, you, you relax. And say, Lord, it's over to you. I'm the best that I can in terms of following you and, and presenting myself to you. And, and the Bible says we're going to be judged according to the works that we do in this body. But Lord, it's up to you. Totally up to you. Was it a year and a half ago I sat with a lady in her 30s. And if, ten years ago we prayed for her to get healed and she had a really rare cancer. And she was healed. God gave another ten years. She had a child. So as I meant to go and see her with another guy leading our church. And I said, look, the Lord's spoken to me. Two things for you. One, you can let go and it's going to be okay. And she said, but God said I'd have another child. She got a two-year-old, I think, at that time. I said, I can't understand. She said, why? And she went to a coma the next day and died a week later, 30, in her 30s. And I don't understand all these things. I can't give you all the answers, you know. But I know this. God is sovereign. He's on the throne. He's loving. He's caring. But we can't worship and idolize this life more than it's necessary. And number three, learn to... I'm gone quite long, longer than I normally preach. But I'm just going to quickly go through two more points. Then. Learn to stand. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, you want to... 6, uh, 10 to 18, and talks about the, the, all the armor of God, and it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, so you better stand against the schemes of the devil. He's got schemes, okay? He's trying to annihilate you, he's trying to neutralize you, and so that you're ineffective in, in the kingdom of God. And you're just eating food and sucking air and just going through life. And we our battle is against, not against flesh and blood, but principalities and authorities, uh, darkness. So having done all to stand, stand. So this, this Bible says by putting on the helmet of salvation and, and uh, the, you know, the breastplate, the, the shield, the sword, the word of God. And even Jesus used the, the word of God as, as a sword. Um, and having done all to stand firm. In the NIV, which old one which I use, not the new NIV, it's a bit dodgy. Um, but the old one says, having done all to stand, stand. There's times in, when we in our walk with the Lord where we've done everything we know how. You've done everything right as far as you know how. You've got counsel. You've gone to the leaders. Help me to understand. And they said, you've done everything we can see. You've, but let's just stand now. And let's God be God. You know, you submitted to God. You resisted the enemy. You've, you've done everything. Paul must have done all to stand. Everything to stand. stand. And then the de- God still said to him, okay, my grace is sufficient for you. That's all we can say at the end of the day. At the, at the end of the day, we can say, my grace, God speaking, my grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient for you which is his strength and his power that he's given you. Um, and number four, learn to fight. It sounds, sometimes the Bible has paradoxes of truth. It's been two truths that seem to contradict, but they can actually work hand in hand. And the Bible says sometimes fight, you know, the, seal, shield, uh, the sword of the Spirit, and use the word of God. It's a sword. And we, we come against the enemy. When, when Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into temptation, the Holy Spirit allowed him to go through all that temptation, knowing Potentially he could have failed. If he couldn't, if it wouldn't be a temptation if he couldn't have failed. But he's God. It's one of those contra- also one of those paradoxes. He's God. So would he have failed? Well, probably not. But the fact is that he, he he might have because the potential must have been there. It wasn't really a temptation. So he was tempted in everything that we were tempted. In the Bible says. Yet he passed every test. He went through every temptation and he passed. And when the devil quoted scripture at him, he, he just said, "No, that's the wrong scripture. This is the scripture that applies." So you've got to know how to wield 
the sword of the Spirit. If you don't know how to use it, you're going to start making mistakes like the Word of Faith guys got into. There was a lot of truth to the Word of Faith movement. They brought us, they stirred up us up as a people to have faith in God. But like often in restorations of truth, sometimes they go too far. And so you've got to know what truth to apply when in terms of the Spirit. That's why we spirit dead. We keep in step with the Spirit. And uh, we can say, Lord, what, what now? Because the, the Scripture is not like a book of rules. It's, it's, we are Spirit-led people. And sometimes God will say, no, you just stand. You must just pray and fast. No, you must fight now. But, you know, like Peter said to Jesus, but what about him? You're all different, but you're the same. So God said, you're all different different parts of your journey right now. So the Bible says, when one, pity the person who doesn't have someone to lift them up. When one is up, the other can lift the other one who's down. There's going to be times when you're going to be, man, I've got enough money. And the other guy says, oh, well, I haven't got enough. Like Paul said to the Corinthian church, Hey, the Macedonians haven't got enough now. Corinthian church, come, grab some money here. We're going to, I want to take it to give them. They haven't got I want equality. So sometimes, you know, you didn't say to the Corinthian church, no, just keep your money. They've got a lack of faith. I'm going to go and just tune them, man. Hey, where's your faith, you guys? Come on now. He said, no, no, no. Get money. They, they're not as gifted as you guys in making money. Paraphrasing. Learn to fight. Um, in 1, uh, 1 John 5, 1 to 5 says, Any, everyone born of God overcomes this world. Because Jesus said you know, in John, um, in this life you will have hardship, but take heart, I have overcome. So everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ has been born of God, and everyone loves the Father, the Father is born of Him. Next verse. By this we know that we love the children of God, and when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except for one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So if you're a believer this morning, you can walk in victory despite your circumstances. You know, victory for us is I've got money, I've got health, and I'm doing well. Man, I'm victorious. No, you could be lying in the gutter with no money, no health, and you're still victorious as much as the guy who drives the BMW and the Mercedes. You're still victorious because you're in Christ. You overcome. The devil's trying to beat you. He's trying to get you down and out of action. And we've been there. We, we got wiped out financially at one stage in our life. We lost our house, paid off house, everything gone. And we, and age of 40, had to start all over again from, the, from zero, ground zero, and sort of claw our way back up again. But again, just trusting God. There were months when we started off every month in major negative, major, on just the basics. I mean, I went from driving an E-Class Mercedes back in the day to driving MC's old Golf 1, which had wind-up windows, which, I mean, it's a car. You know, when people say, oh, I got a, my car broke down and it's so terrible, I say, well, thank God you've got a car. Most of the world doesn't have motor cars. They have to get up 3 o'clock in the morning, catch taxis, and things like that. Um, ah, okay, I better land there. Does it make sense what I've shared this morning? I'll try to just help us as, a, as God's people to live as victorious people, live that lives that count, live lives that will... Be pleasing to God. The Bible says, find out what pleases God. It's another part of the false teaching that's going around with one of the movements. Is God is permanently pleased with you. No, the Bible says he's not. In the book of Revelation, he speaks to his church. He says, you, my church, need to repent. He's not pleased. Five out of the seven churches mentioned Revelation. God was not pleased with them. Now God's permanently pleased with me. No, he's not. Man, he loves you. I mean, I love my children dearly. If they make mistakes or whatever, I still love them. But there's consequence, the Bible says, to sin. There's consequence. 
there's Christians, sometimes I've taken them to police stations to report their crimes, that now they got born again, and, and I say, you realize we go and see the police, like, they might arrest, put you away for, because they're prepared to do that. But there's consequences soon, they're born again, they're washed clean, they're righteous, and God did amazing miracles in some of those stories. Um, so there could be consequences, but let's be a people who go forward and live victoriously. Does that make sense, guys and ladies? Let's be those who receive. Now, don't just be hearers and not doers, okay? It's not here just to stir you up. And I really, there's got to be an impartation of God into us this morning. We cannot walk out the door diff- out the, the same. We've got to be different. I want to be different. Every time I encounter, every day I want to be different from the morning to the evening. I want to finish differently in God. I want to have grown more, grown closer to Him. And just, Lord, am I in your will? Am I p-? Bible says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith in the book of Romans. Test yourself. We've had many times where people sit in our meetings like this and they're not born again. They've just learned to, hey, this is lacquer. Cows love you. They're nice to you. They get food and coffee at the back. And, and they just, you know, and then suddenly things happen. You, whenever we start with people we don't know, we often say, tell us about your salvation. Because you find sometimes guys are not born again. They just learned religion. Culture, we live in a, a culture of religion. Cultural Christians, not born again. There's only one type of Christian that's born again. There's not different types, you know. Let's stand. <clears throat> We're going to, yeah, let's respond to God. Let's not waste this moment. Every moment is precious like this. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know anything. Father, we just want to present ourselves to you this morning. And as your people, your sons and your daughters, who serve a living God, a holy God, a righteous God, a loving God, a gracious God, a merciful God, you're slow to anger, abounding in love. You're an amazing Lord. You're, wow, we, we, words are not enough to describe you, Lord. But we want to be a people, Father, Father, who follow you, who follow your Son, Jesus, who, who's soft towards your Holy Spirit. And as your Spirit is with us, as he speaks to us and guides us and reminds us of all truth, as you said he would, that, Lord, we want to be those who obey. That's your love language, is obedience. We want to be those who obey your word and obey your truth. So this morning, every single person We're all different, but yet we're all the same. In our differences, in our different situations and walks with life, some are more elderly, some are physically closer to you, some are young, thinking life's going to go on forever. Father, I pray for every one of us that we get a deep revelation this morning of of just you having our hearts. That's it, Lord. That you just have our hearts, which is our will. That you're you're genuinely Lord, that you genuinely are sitting on the throne in our hearts this morning. And Lord, if there's anything that's not pleasing with you, we want to bring it to you this morning and trust in your grace, trust in your power to change us, to become more Christ-like. We want to be continuously changing, Lord, transformed by your presence, by your truth, by your word, by your spirit. You're a powerful God, Lord, powerful, able to change our hearts and, and even our circumstances sometimes. But Lord, just like, that, like the finance teaching earlier, that we'll be content in every situation. Wouldn't be jealous of someone else, wanting what they've got or their situation. But Lord, be content with where you have, have you've worked in us and, and, and the, where we stand in this life right now. We want to rest in you. We want to fight in you. We want to stand. We want to know. Work in us, Lord God so wonderfully and powerfully. There's maybe some this morning who are not convinced if they were to have a moment of, hey, this is it, you could be going home to be with Jesus, or going into eternity rather. 
that you may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You may not have that full understanding of your spirit being alive in Christ. That your sins are, are paid for by Jesus. Because we're all born sinners, according to the Bible, according to God's Word. We're all born sinners, the whole of mankind. doesn't matter what religion they say they come from. There's only two types of people, born again and those who aren't. And Father, this morning I want to speak to those who may not know you as Father. Jesus came to die for this world and die for people who would respond to him and offer their lives back to him and say, Lord, this life belongs to you. Here it is. Forgive me as a sinner. And the greatest sin is this, not the things you do. The greatest sin is not letting God be God in your life, that he is the total control of your heart, that you belong to him, that he becomes your Lord, that he determines what you do in this life. That's the main difference. All the sins, the symptoms of sins, are just come from that heart that doesn't belong to God. So if anyone here this morning who is not certain that if they were to die, that they would be with Jesus straight away, I want you to be bold and courageous. I want you to stick your hand up so I can pray for you and introduce you to an incredible Lord and Savior. Be bold and courageous if it is you. If you're not sure, make right with God this morning. It's a precious moment and opportunity. I took it 43 years ago, and boy, life changed. It's so important. This is the most important decision you'll ever make in this life is whether to serve Jesus or not and to Him to have total control of your life. Good people don't go to heaven. Only born-again saved people do. Good people, your works are filthy rags to God. You can't impress God with your good works for, for salvation. For the rest of us who are here this morning, I really pray that everyone would, let's just all present our hearts to him right now. If you want, you can raise your hands. It's a lovely way, while says, lift up holy hands to God. And if we consist of a holy person, and we're holy because of Jesus, not because of who we are, then lift your hands towards him right now and say, Lord, I come in fresh surrender this morning. I don't want to be the same as I was yesterday. I want to be different, Lord. I want to change. You may, maybe some of your prayer may be that he hasn't had full control of your heart. He hasn't really been a Lord. He's just been Savior. You love that part. I'm saved. But actual Lordship is a bit of a wrestle. Sometimes you let God take it. Sometimes you take it back. So just surrender totally. Lord, here I am. Offer you everything. Everything, Lord, all relationships, my children, my, my wife, my husband, my business, everything, my finances, I offer to you, God. They all belong to you. So right now, just freshly offer yourself to God. Worship you, Jesus. Father, I pray you touch every single person powerfully in this room. Really transform everyone, God, according to your image. Transform every single life. That's real revival when people's lives are transformed. We look for physical revivals and outward revivals, but you know, it starts in the church. It starts with God's people. Just re repenting and saying, Lord, you haven't had full lordship in my life. And that just ushers in the presence of God and lives around us get touched. When you speak, your words have power to them because there's credibility in the Spirit. There's life in the Spirit. Thank you, Father. Got any unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone? If you can't pray for any, anyone, even the person who may have harmed you or done damage to you, if you can't set them free this morning, because a lot of people are going to say, yeah, I forgive them, but okay, then you've got to take it one step further. Can you pray God's blessing on their life? Because the Bible says, bless your enemies. Pray for those who curse you. 
Some of you have had really bad things done to you in this life, but you've got to just set yourself free and by setting them free. God wants you to walk in freedom this morning. Don't be bound up as a Christian. Christians can be bound by the enemy through anger, lack of mercy. And pray that they'll even, it could be people who've been raped, sexually abused. These are quite heavy topics, heavy things to mention in church, but Jesus spoke openly and plainly because we're at, we're at war. We're at war. And God wants his people to be free and to walk in freedom. To walk in freedom. Pray that they'll, be, that they'll know the Lord Jesus even. Mention them by name right now. If you've got someone that you're struggling with, who's harmed you in some ways, words, actions towards you in, the, in this life, set them free so that, you can be, so that you set yourself free in the process. Wonderful Lord. I pray that God heals people this morning in their hearts. Focusing on hearts this morning. That God will heal you. That you can go into eternity one day with a pure heart. That you've been healed by the healer. By stripes we have been healed. Father, set your people free this morning. Minister to their hearts. Minister to their minds. Even their emotions. The emotions are given by God. Don't be ruled by your emotions. Be ruled by truth. But sometimes your emotions have dominated you. Not anymore. Break that this morning. In Jesus' name, precious Lord. You're precious people. Eh? You, you belong to a loving God. Walk in freedom. Amen.